Have you ever gone to listen to a podcast and thought to yourself, I wish I was listening to a to a different podcast with some of these same people doing different things. Sometimes there's an episode on the Occult Confessions feed that isn't an episode of Occult Confessions. Is it history? Is it the occult? Is it satire or Dadaist nonsense? Or perhaps some sort of auditory hallucination? That, dear listeners, is up to you. If you haven't listened to our April Fool's episode, or the second part of our General Hitchcock's Alchemy episode, I strongly suggest you do so before enjoying this Halloween treat, the conclusion to the girl with the crab shell tattoo. Are we supposed to be drunk? Should we try that out, maybe? Not actually drunk, but just like opening alcoholic beverages and killing some time talking about it. Borderline crime is unnecessarily disturbing and mildly annoying. If you have young children, you shouldn't be listening to the show, ever. Hello and welcome to Borderline Crime. This is Big B and I'm here with Little C. Little C, it's your turn this week. What have you got for us? I'm frying candy bars in the kitchenette. This one takes place in a little town outside of Annapolis on Halloween night 2015. Maybe we should call the show Deep Fried Misdemeanors. Two girls, Giselle Newhouse and Aubriella Pugliani, are discovered in a parking lot of their high school, pale and passed out. On the opposite side of the school, under some bushes, are two bags of blood. Like IV bags? Ziploc bags, wrapped in paper grocery bags. And get this, B, the bush where the bags of blood were found were had been spray-painted pink, as if it was advertising where to find them. The paint was still wet. Jamie Markhart, who wrote the story for the local paper, called this the Baydale bloodletting. While none of this is necessarily illegal, taken together, these events can be considered a borderline crime. This is Country Fried Crime. No, it's not. The girls were discovered by members of the biology club who had been hosting an all-night marathon of global warming documentaries. Those are the best kind of documentaries because they make you feel sad, but also kind of hopeless. I have the same response to ASMR. They were badly disoriented and had difficulty standing and they wouldn't give their names. The biology teacher, Mr. Gregory, assumed the girls were drunk and worried they might have alcohol poisoning, and so he called for an ambulance. At the hospital, nurses discovered blood smeared on Giselle Newhouse's upper arm and put together that they were not drunk but suffering from blood loss. The amount of blood they had lost was unusual, but not life-threatening, and doctors did not order a transfusion for either of them. It was almost as if the blood had been monitored as it was taken from them. How did they find the Ziploc blood baggies? A man was walking his dog just as the girls were being treated at the hospital and noticed a pink shrub, and when he went to check it out, the dog smelled the blood and he called the police. But the blood was in a bag in a bag. That's right. I don't get it. What's to get? The dog? What about the dog? Maybe if I draw a map. A map of what? The path of the dog. I don't think we know that, except that the dog went to the back of the school. But the bags were inside other bags. You keep saying that. That's the mystery. Here's where the story takes a little twist. Too late. The police brought the blood to the hospital where doctors determined that both bags were type O positive. The girls were type A positive and A negative, meaning the blood in the bags, despite the incredible coincidence of the two girls turning up in the parking lot short of blood, had not come from either of them. 
Detectives were brought in to question the girls, which they did separately, but the reports they gave had almost nothing to do with the circumstances of their discovery or the two bags of blood. Newhouse said that the girls had rowed out to a berm with their boyfriends in an area called Witch's Cove, and that was the last she remembered of the night. Pogliani said her boyfriend had stayed home that night, and she and Newhouse and Newhouse's new boyfriend had met in her basement where they watched footage that they'd shot together of the two girls performing inappropriate acts with the statue of the school mascot, Buddy the Bull, in front of the school's football stadium. To be honest, Buddy's a pretty hot mascot as far as mascots go. Does that make me a furry? The next night, Newhouse's boyfriend, Jake Throbingen, was found passed out under the table in the smoking section of a Kent County Steak and Shake more than an hour's drive from his parents' home on the opposite side of the Bay Bridge. They have great steak shakes. Also, where's the smoking section? The patio out back. What happened to your fried chocolate bars? Nasty. Big mess in the pan. Lesson learned. Throbingen refused to talk to the police, but... But the Eastern Shore Medical Center, where he was taken for treatment, reported to the officers that his blood type was O positive. His parents shared that Throbingen and his girlfriend, Giselle Newhouse, had spent the night of October 31st in the kitchen cooking for themselves. Mr. and Mrs. Throbingen had gone out for the night, so they couldn't exactly say what the couple had been preparing, but they'd guess that it was some sort of fried meat because of the traces of flour and blood they'd found on the countertops. Chicken fried assaults. That's what I'm calling this show now. Funnel cake capers. Police's theory of the events in question suggested that there was no crime in all of this, except for the vandalism of the shrub, which could not be traced back to any of the people known to have been involved in the Baydale bloodletting. Aubriella Pugliani and Giselle Newhouse had voluntarily bled themselves with the assistance of Jake Throbingen, likely in the Throbingen kitchen. Afterward, the blood was used to prepare some sort of meal which Throbingen alone consumed, and then the girls bled Throbingen, presumably, presumably as part of some demonic prank. Prank responsibly. As usual, the police's theory leaves a lot unanswered. The girls had each lost more than a pint of blood when they were discovered. How could one human being consume that much blood in a single night, even if it was breaded and deep fried or baked in a cake? Supposing the girls helped Throbingen eat their morbid ciabatta, that still doesn't explain how they ended up in the parking lot, especially if their blood had been taken half a neighborhood away in the Throbingen kitchen. And what was the point of this ritual bloodletting if they were going to take the end product, product, namely Jake Throbingen's blood, and abandon it under a bush? My question is, why would they go through this whole elaborate bloodletting ritual if they were just going to leave all that blood under a bush? That, that's what I said. You said... What was the point of the ritual if they were going to abandon the end product under a bush? I said, why would they go through the ritual if they were going to leave the blood under a bush? They're different questions. No, they're not. Aren't they? I mean, that's the real question. What is? I lost track. Something about steak. The police suspected all three were involved in something called the Cult of the Minotaur, a group that has no presence on the internet, not even on Wikipedia. The phrase was found written in permanent marker on the inside of Giselle Newhouse's locker, on several scraps of notebook paper found in Jake Throbingen's wallet, and was the name of a short story written by Aubriella Pogliani for her creative writing class. 
The story itself had n has never surfaced, and the English teacher, Mrs. Meredith, couldn't remember much about it beyond the title. But Pugliani's boyfriend at the time, Horatio Franks, had read it and shared with, a with local reporter Jamie Marquardt what he could remember from the story. A teenage boy enthralled to two high priestesses of the cult of the Minotaur watches them orgasm on the phallus of a marble idol and then bleeds to death in the trunk of his own Subaru. Franks broke up with Pogliani shortly after the Halloween night, presumably because of his instinct for self-preservation. Writing a weird short story for class isn't illegal, but baking your own blood into a bread product and hiding your boyfriend's bodily fluids under a bush is most definitely a borderline crime. A batter-dipped bad idea. You've been listening to Borderline Crime. Deep Sunrise Wellness Experience is presented by the Five-Sided Podcast Network in cooperation with Breadcrumb Media. I am your host, Chakra Leela. Sit back, relax, and have a deep breath. Have you ever had this happen to you? Someone, a friend you know and trust, has asked you to enter the maze and you've held back? You said to yourself, the maze? What the hell is the maze? Isn't life hard enough without wandering around some maze? Is this supposed to be fun? Is it like part of a theme park or something? Or, or some kind of kinky sex game? I don't think I want to go into the maze. Today's guest guru is Nikki from the Alchemical Actors. Welcome, Nikki. I want you to picture a shape for me. A perfect pentagon pointing downward in the center of your mind's eye. See the pentagon. Focus on the pentagon. On the top left side, I want you to see a curved line stretching up to a point and back down to the pentagon like a horn. Now see the same shape stretching from the top right side, stretching up to a point and back to the pentagon like a horn. As you focus on the shape, I want you to feel it begin to change. And now see the change you feel. See the shape metamorphosize before your eyes. See it slowly transform into a top-down view of a crab shell and back to the horned pentagon. See it slowly transform into a front view of a bull's head and hold that image. Feel your muscles relax and the relaxation penetrate into your bones, into the very core of your being. See the Minotaur. Greet the Minotaur. Welcome the Minotaur. You're listening to Whoa Drama. It's time for What's the Beef, in which I, Mimi Mimikowski, serve up a heaping helping of beef with a side of mashed potatoes and garlic spinach and wash it down with a big glass of cherry Kool-Aid, or whatever. The beef today is with Mackenzie H., the get it girl. We all know that if anyone gave Mackenzie H. a leg up in this business, and if anyone owes anyone anything, Mackenzie H. owes me, Mimi Mimikowski, like a kidney, or spleen, or whatever. 
So a few months back, I told you how Mackenzie H was going through like a quarter life crisis and joined a cult and started doing like petty crimes in the suburbs, which is the lamest venue for petty crimes or pretty much anything else while we're talking about it. She rebranded her show and her neck and like half her listeners got super pissed and started leaving one star's reviews saying stuff like, this show used to be cool, but now it's not cool, and I liked it so much better when it was cool. This isn't cool. Or whatever. But she still has a podcast, and the other half of her listeners is still a lot of listeners. And I've got this new sponsorship deal with Kitty Cat Massage, Massages for Your Kitty. So I thought I could get her and her friend Ella, but really just her friend Ella, to come on the show and get their kitties massaged. I'd sort of promised the kitty cat people as a condition of their sponsorship that I could get Ella Pagliani on the digital air to talk about their product, even though nobody's ever heard from Ella. And people think maybe Mackenzie H. just made her up. But she's got influence in the public sphere, whether she's imaginary or not. Like Mickey Mouse, or Bill Murray, or Puff the Magic Dragon, or whatever. And like I said, Mackenzie H. owes Mimi M. So I deed her M's and get this, kids. Silence. No response. She'd ghosted Mimi. Of all people. And now I've got beef. Big, thick, juicy, tasty, tasty beef. Mackenzie H would be nothing, nowhere, and no one without Mimi. And now she's got no Mimi, so she must be no one. You hear that? There is no Mackenzie H. Not anymore. If you see her ad for Get It Girl, or see her pale, peaked face guesting on someone's makeup tutorial, it's a figment of your imagination. She's gone. Zapped off the face of this cheap bargain bin dimension like the non-entity she's become. Mackenzie H., you inverted slut with your upside-down, unwholesome, unpasteurized, so-called personality, you're dead to me. Mimi Mimikowski. In all the memites in the memosphere. Get gored. So I told Aubriella yesterday that I was done with the whole thing. I was quitting. I had milked. I have been milked. I've carved a few symbols in a few places that they shouldn't be. And honestly, like, I'm over it. She said she didn't even try and stop me, too. She said, okay. And I was like, okay. And then she said, the power is with the story not the storyteller. Wow. Girls, she might as well have stepped on my face and posted it to a fetish site. I don't know why, but when she said that, it was like the ground underneath me opened up and like I was sucked into magma. I've been talking about Aubriella every episode, every week week after week for seven months now and the go-getters you have all become obsessed by proxy all of you write in and you tell me that you looked for her on snapchat or you couldn't find her on tiktok or that you requested to follow her and she never got back to you other podcasters have reached out to me wanting to get her on their shows 
and she's not available. But you know what? What do I really know about Aubriella? I mean, I know one thing for sure. She has five followers on Instagram. Five. And I'm one of them. She's not selling you a story. She's not marketing herself or or building a brand. I'm doing that for her. I'm like her agent. She is the red hot core and I'm a satellite, but she never asked me to do that. She never asked for me to talk about her like a stalker superfan for more than half a year. She had no reason to. She's not dropping an album or a fashion line or launching an Etsy shop or a YouTube channel or a Twitch stream. She doesn't want to be a contestant on the Y Factor or the X Chromosome or whatever show where you, you know, you hang out with that guy that's like a six out of 10 and he's in a hot tub full of boiled crabs and like he gives you a flower for it. And if she did, if she actively sought out that kind of attention, then it would kill the mystery. It would ruin the story. There'd be nothing to talk about. I think that this episode is going to be my last for a while. I'm taking a break. I wish all of you love and lust and the best of vibes. I'm sending each and every one of you the deepest psychograms or milkings or likes or subscribers or whatever it is that you think you need that's going to make you happy. Honestly, you're probably wrong either way. Get it, girl. Take care of yourself. This is not a drill, folks. I am currently under attack. This morning, I saw the pizza girl walking up the driveway of my neighbor's house two doors down, and I immediately grabbed my microphone and my laptop and a three-day supply of canned quiche and my extra-large bag of uh, double-cheese trail mix and my hot plate and a couple gallons of Mountain Dew and headed down to my basement to establish my bunker. The apocalypse is nigh, folks. As nigh as it's ever been, but not as nigh as it's likely going to be when it gets a hell of a lot nigher, which is nigh, quiet. There's someone knocking at my door. It's probably her. I think she had a man with her. Uh, Maybe another woman. It's only a matter of minutes before they breach the perimeter and attempt a full-on assault. These may be maybe my last minutes on Earth. You're you're listening to Church Secrets, Episode 17-S, brought to you by Inside Truther Media. Watch my three-part series on the Cult of the Minotaur on the Inside Truther 8-Goon today. Also, follow me on Parlor and check out my Christian Mingle account. Is that the floorboards? I can't tell. She's got a way of, of moving designed for ambush. Probably took kung fu as a kid. I'd like to thank Mixer Max for his five-star review. He says, without you, CS, I'd probably cry myself to sleep every night. I do cry myself to sleep every night, but thanks to this podcast, I, I'm never alone. That's truly moving, brother, truly. You've touched me in, in my, my, my heart of hearts just probably about to be stabbed out of my chest because there's a homicidal pizza girl in my den. I can't hear her anymore. But I know she's up there. 
two hours ago. I saw someone come out of my neighbor's back porch. I've got a closed-circuit camera on the back of my garage that catches Mrs. Meredith's porch door, but it wasn't the pizza girl, and it wasn't Mrs. Meredith either. It might have been the boyfriend, but I could only get to the back of the head. The neck tattoo. That's right, friends. A neck tattoo. Just like John the Relevator predicted. Did you hear that? It sounds like someone just laid down on the couch. But she's naked up there, defiling my Kirk Cameron bobblehead figurines. I hope it's the Saving Christmas one. It's my least favorite. Let me catch you up on the events on the ground as I see them from my vantage point underground. Last night I went to check on the pool, and they were gone. A hundred gnome statues and lawn jockeys just disappeared. But you've got a closed-circuit camera on the back of your garage, don't you, CS? I hear you. Security-obsessed freedom lovers. I check on the recording, and you know what I saw on that closed-circuit camera? A butt. A butt that just blinks into existence from out of nowhere. One second, it's my perfect and pastoral above-ground swimming hole, and the next, it's a bare butt. I'm pretty sure it farted. What I want to know is, how did they get a butt up that high? It's only there for a minute, and then it's gone. But the whole minute... That whole minute, there was a butt, suspended nine feet in the air. Afterward, everything looked like it had been before the butt. Except, when I went out to look under the solar cover, water. No sign that the little ceramic urchins were ever there in the first place. Suppose I imagined the whole thing. I suppose there were, there were never any symbolically vandalized lawn ornaments. Suppose there was no reason for me to be hauled up in my own basement, peeing in a bucket, and then dumping the bucket down the toilet in the bathroom that I also have in my basement. Well, what if I imagine the naked pizza girl up there, desecrating my Buck Williams action figure? Because that's, that's just my kink. Dr. Rob, I know this is a kind of an unusual message to leave on an answering machine, but my internet connection's a little dicey, and I was hoping maybe you could post the, 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 the episode up, uh, up for me on your feed. Keep thinking about those Roman pantomimers putting their little little half-naked sketch comedies full of secret language about the witch cabal right out there on the village square. They straddled both worlds so that they could know what each side was saying about the other. They got the closest to the truth because they weren't purists. And, the, and they spoke about how they could. They also mimed sex acts for entertainment. This is church secrets, by the way. You don't have to call me back. The crab shell tattoo was an inside job!